There are many ways people listen to vision, including through a PC at work. When you fire up your computer at work, go to vision.org.au slash listen and click the Vision or V180 Listen Live buttons. You can also catch the latest Vision National News Bulletin and enjoy a growing range of on-demand podcasts from the same page all while you work. However, and wherever you listen to Vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music will help you look to God daily. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up today on The Story. His Mm -hmm. lifestyle was sleep for three days, wake up frantic, drive around crazily till he found drugs, spend all the money he had on those drugs. He was even dealing drugs to get enough money because he was a very heavy user. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was dealing with bikey gangs. Oh, wow. So he moved into our house right then. The next morning, he came at 8.30 in the morning carrying breakfast in bed. And we started to realise we have seen a miracle. The Story. Hi, I'm Elmo, filling in for Jimmy Colfax, and welcome to The Story. Well, today we're going to learn more about the history of Australian Christian rock band Rosanna's Raiders, as once again our guests are David and Rosanna Palmer. They've been involved in Christian music and ministry for more than three decades, serving God in whatever way they can, including worship leading, church planting, pastoring, and just generally having a heart for the outcasts of society. And they're still going strong today. But before all that, they were professional musicians travelling and performing in the secular rock scene in the early 1980s. When we ended last time, we heard how their sound man was concerned about his girlfriend, who he thought was possessed. David suggested they should talk to his brother-in-law, who was a pastor, thinking that maybe he could help. So we just jumped in the car and we went there. And of course, our guitarist, who was living with us at the time, he said, oh, can I come too? So he came. Oh, wow. So the whole gang's (laughs) heading over to your brother-in-law. Yeah, and we got there, he invited us in. He said, what's the problem? We explained it. And Richard just said to the sound guy, he said, listen, you can't help your girlfriend till you help yourself. And by now, both him and the guitarist are sitting there with these almost angelic looks on their face, and they go, oh, what have I got to do to help myself? And Richard said, give your life to Jesus. And he says, okay. And the guitarist said, can I do that too? And the next thing, we couldn't believe it, because remember, the church we grew up in, we never saw this. Mm Mm-hmm. There were both my mates, you know, one a drug addict, sound guy that was just amazing, our guitarist who used to drink and smoke like there was no tomorrow, kneeling down in my sister's lounge room giving their lives to Jesus. Oh, wow. Mm, It's like time stood still. We we were dumbfounded. And then they turned to us and said, have you already said this prayer? And as Rosanna said, we'd said it many times from the back of the book. So we're going, yeah, I guess we have. Anyway, we finished there at, what, 1, one thirty in the morning. We got back in the car to go home, and we didn't have a band meeting. We didn't have a discussion. The drummer wasn't present, mind you. Mm-hmm. But we just knew that we had to use our music for God. And then we got pulled up by the police. And, of course, the sound guy still had his drugs in his oh. bag, in the car. Just wait, this is driving back from this? Yes. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. The same night? <laughs> the same, the same night. night. <laughs> and we knew this is a disaster because we'd taken this risk of having him with us mm-hmm. with his drugs. Yeah. And, you know, if the police ever caught it, we would all be in the same boat. So I was in the car and, you know, I started to pray. I'd never really prayed that much, but I was really praying that night. And 
one policeman took the sound guy down the road to question him <laughs> and the other one was going over the car writing out an unroadworthy certificate because, as you know, someone who spends all his money on drugs does not repair his car hmm. and it was in need of bad repair. And the policeman says, where are you from? And he said, Ferntree Gully. He said, where have you been? He said, Morwell. He said, what were you doing in Morwell? And a voice spoke to him. He'd just been giving his life to Jesus. And a voice spoke to him and said, tell the policeman you've been to see a pastor. But he had no idea what a pastor was. So he said, I've been to see a priest. <laughs> and the policeman said, well, that's a good enough reference for us, son, on your way. <laughs> and they put us back in the car yeah. and we're driving. I was can't make this stuff up. <laughs> we were just sitting there, again, totally amazed. And then I got bold again. I said, you've got to get rid of your drugs. And he said, when? And I said, now. (laughs) All I could see was us getting pulled up again and he's got drugs in the car. So he did. He just took it all away, took it all out in his hand and just threw it as hard as he could over into the paddock and went home, you know, and he never touched drugs again. It was an absolute miracle. It really was. Now, you had seen him day after day in his lifestyle. His Mm -hmm. lifestyle was sleep for three days, wake up frantic, drive around crazily till he found drugs, spend all the money he had on those drugs. He was even dealing drugs to get enough money because he was a very heavy user. Mm. Yeah, he was dealing with bikey gangs. Oh, wow. And then he'd be awake for three days and do all these crazy things and then he would get crazily tired, he'd run out of drugs, sleep it off for three days. That's the way he lived. And that night he came back. We knew we couldn't send him back to his house. A, his girlfriend was there who was having these demonic troubles, and B, biker gangs are going to come around wanting drugs. So he moved into our house right then. He just stayed with us. And the, the next day he had to kind of go and rescue his son from the primary school and bring him back to live with us too. But the next morning, remember Muso's hours were go to bed at 4, get up at 12 midday. He came at 8.30 in the morning, knocked on our bedroom door because Rosanna and I were married by then, Came in carrying breakfast in bed. Oh, my goodness. And you think, he's just stopped taking drugs. We didn't didn't dawn on us the first day. Mm. But after a couple of days, he did the same thing three days in a row. And then we realized, and hang on, normally when he can't get drugs, he sleeps for three days. And now he's only sleeping a few hours and coming in before anybody else. And we started to realize we have seen a miracle. Mm. This mm. is a miracle. And, man, that gave us such momentum. And we knew we had to use our music for God. We instantly started changing mm-hmm. the words to our songs to just, oh, okay. you know, eliminate anything that might have been suspect in any way and just, you know, just started to talk about the love of God and, yeah. 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 Now, the two of you said that you had recited a prayer to accept Jesus as your Savior that you read in the back of the book, mm-hmm. but it sounded like that was kind of on a surface level, but now it sounds like you really owned it. Yeah. Absolutely. On that night when the guys got born again, Richard said, oh, I'll pray for you guys as well. And he prayed for us. And it really was that night that we got the call of God. You know, it really Mm -hmm. changed on the inside. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely right. It was definitely the call of God. And we knew we had to use our music for God. And the guitarist was saved, the sound guy. Rosanna and I play bass guitar. Rosanna was lead vocals and guitar. And the only one that wasn't there that night was the drummer. So eventually... and so he was like, what happened here? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> and he'd been in very anti-God bands prior to that. Okay. Mm. But he was against drugs and because he, he'd had his own experiences and gotten free. 
and he really wanted the sound guy to get off drugs because they had been friends before they joined us. Oh, so he was really happy, though. He he was glad that he was off drugs, but he didn't know how he got off drugs. So it was arranged that we would go around to his house and explain this, and the sound guy rang and said, I want to come and talk to you. I'm, I'm off drugs, you know, whatever. And he kept saying, well, what's it about? What's it about? And he only mentioned, he just said, it's about God. So by the time we got to the drummer's house, he was ready for us. <laughs> and he had <laughs> the garlic out on the table. He thinks that's going to ward it all <laughs> off, you know. Anyway, the sound guy told him this story about how he was off drugs now, and the drummer was just looking at him. You know, he was very, very, his face wouldn't smile or anything. He was just staring. And so we left. And then he came to rehearsal. But by now, we'd made a decision. We knew that we were going to change all of our music to be about God. And we're going to sing in the nightclubs. But we had to drop some of our most crowd-pleasing songs to do it because they were from bands that had a reputation, you see, Mm. for being demonic. And everybody knew that. So we knew we had to drop these songs out. And when the drummer realized that we dropped out the best songs, he got very upset. He slammed his drumsticks down and he said, if God's got anything to do with this band, I'm out of here. But he gave us notice. He said, you've got two weeks to find a new drummer. And we knew we couldn't talk to him about God, but it didn't stop us talking to God about him. So we prayed for him day (laughs) and night. We prayed for everybody we knew because Richard had showed us how to pray for our friends, how to get them saved. So we just prayed what he showed us and we just started to list names of, we had like, what was it? Ten foolscap pages? Yeah, of names written. Oh, wow. All the musos we knew and everybody we knew, and we prayed for them all one by one every day for hours we were praying. You know, that's what happened. God, You guys were on fire. <laughs> we don't know how it happened. God did it. It's just what yeah. it seemed like this is what we should do. Yeah, we all lived in the one household, and we would just get together, you know, every night, and we'd just pray, pray through these names. And you felt led by the Lord to continue to do the music in the nightclub scene. That, that was our living. Absolutely, absolutely. But yeah. have God-oriented lyrics? Yeah. Yes. How did the people in the nightclub go for that? I mean, Mostly it didn't make any difference to them whatsoever. We could see one of the managers standing there staring at us. Now, we don't know whether that's because he liked the band or whether he was wondering <laughs> what was going on, but it all went well for about a year. But okay. then we played in what would have been the biggest nightclub in Melbourne. Mm. One of those nightclubs where people queue up outside. Mm-hmm. And by then we'd started learning about prayer and spiritual warfare and binding the enemy. So we had to set up in the afternoon about 3 o'clock, but we didn't start playing till 10 p.m. So we had nothing to do all this time, you know, four hours or something of just mm-hmm. waiting around. So I started praying. I was praying in the band room in a nightclub. Then I went out when they started the house music and the dance music. I was walking around out there praying. No one could hear me. And I was binding this and praying against that. Anyway, we came out and played and it all went normal to us. But on Monday, the agent got a very negative phone call. Yeah, and he said, I don't know what it is about that band. We had a record crowd. There were great numbers there, but we had the lowest bar take that we've ever had. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, we don't want them back. We don't want them back. You know, no one was drinking. Oh, that's interesting. And, of course, our heart was for outreach. And we realised after about a year that you can't really reach out very well in a pub you can. You can talk to people one-on-one, and we've yeah. done plenty of that. But you can plant seeds. You mm. couldn't really preach or do anything like that. Yeah. So, again, like that idea we had years before, let's become professional and didn't know how to do it, I just said, it must have been God guiding me. I said, let's go to the schools. And, of course, being practical, Rosanna said, what are we going to live on? Oh, I don't know. 
But I just know that if we get to the schools, we can reach them before they're drunk. And from that day onwards, God opened doors for us to play in high schools for 10 years. Oh, wow. In, including overseas as well. You're listening to The Story, and our guests once again are Aussie Christian rockers David and Rosanna Palmer from Rosanna's Raiders. We've been hearing their story and about how they all became Christians, including the drummer. As we just heard, he gave two weeks' notice that he would leave the band, but David says he became a Christian in three weeks. Fantastic. Next, we'll hear more of their story and more about their ministry when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Almo, filling in for Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. We're continuing with Eric Scatterbo chatting with David and Rosanna Palmer from the Christian rock band Rosanna's Raiders. They're sharing their story, and next we're going to hear some of their music and the impact their ministry has had on the lives of many people. We are Raiders! We are Raiders! We went to England and had a really successful mission over there. We went to Derby and played at many schools, like a couple each day, and we would do an outreach at night. So we, we would go into the school during the day, play music and say, come along tonight to this outreach. Mm. And people were just giving their lives to Jesus. It was so successful. It was wonderful. And you were able to make a living. Yeah, again, we, we just had to learn how to live by faith. You know, sometimes I would go and do library shelves or help my brother-in-law shift furniture, but mostly God provided there would be some outreach concerts, I guess, that paid something. I, I really don't know. I didn't take that much notice, actually, of all the money <laughs> side of it. I just know if someone rang me to come and do a job, you know, physical labour, I'd do it. I was actually doing a lot more study in the garage than we were concentrating on yeah, music. Yeah, let's talk about that. I can't explain it, but I just had an appetite for it, you know, and we by then, of course, we had the house full of band members, then street kids, and so there was no room to study in the house. It was all full. So I just put the cars out of the garage and set up a desk out there and went for it, and the, the sound guy... He went into the bookshop and he bought himself a concordance and a commentary. Then when he got them home, he had a good look at them and he didn't have a clue what to do with it, so <laughs> he gave them to me. So I had now had a concordance, a commentary. Someone bought me an interlinear Greek Bible. So I just went out there and learned and prayed and studied. Just self-study? Yeah. Just mm. self-taught? Mm. Yeah. Well, I knew how to study. I'd been through university, so that wasn't a problem. But we were doing outreaches all the time, and then we found out about reaching the street kids in St Kilda. So we were going down there on some, some nights, just hanging around the streets, talking to street kids, mm. until eventually one of the street kids, which was supposed to be in prison, escaped so many times I gave up trying to hold her in, and they let her come live at our house. So we had this street kid. Now, look, this is the thing, right? Rosanna and I are farm kids from the country. In our own natural self, we knew nothing about street life or street kids or anything like that. As we said, we never touched drugs, mm -hmm. never yep. took alcohol, didn't smoke cigarettes, didn't get any tattoos, nothing. Never wore an earring, nothing. And how we've got street kids in our house, we didn't have a clue what to do with them, but pray for them and love them. 
And that was also where I got a lot of inspiration for writing songs because I thought, how do we reach these people? How do we let them know about the love of God? And I remember saying to one of the girls, you know, God loves you, and she cringed. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh, this is not relating. And, you know, obviously... Um, we weren't weren't connecting on that level, and yeah. her father was in prison because having abused her. So I thought, no, there's God. You've got to show me how to write songs mm-hmm. that really connect. So I started writing songs like "You Are Special," "I Believe in You," and just some of those concepts about God's love, and that really began to connect. And that's where a lot of the inspiration for the songs came that we were doing at the time. And then, after a while, besides just doing the rock music that you were doing, the Christian rock music at that time, you also branched into praise music. Mm. How did that come about? When we first got saved, one of the things that our brother-in-law did was establish us in a church. So we started going to church and loved it, and not only went to the church we were part of, who which just had a morning service, but we also went to another local church because they had a night service, and they were very, you know, they had Mel Fletcher there who was leading Youth Alive, and it was very vibrant, and so we would go there at night. And so we thought, after a while, we thought, oh, you know, we realized we could actually write praise songs, and we began to do praise music as well. The church we started to go to was called Truth and Liberation Concern. They didn't have very exciting music at the time. They had some very good musicians there. And they gave us one or two opportunities to do music in church. But then, again, I don't know where this came from. This idea dropped into my mind. And the sound guy was with me on this. And we decided we wanted to put on a big praise spectacular. We kind of got this idea. We were at a home group one night. We are all praying. We got all this idea, wrote down a list of songs. And we went to see the pastor and he said, we've got a vision to do a praise and celebration night. And he said, yes. So we had about 10 singers, I think, and a big row of musicians. And the sound guy did sound. And we did this big praise night. And we had no idea what it was like because there was a row of, you know, concert lights in front of us shining in our face. And and we started to do this really contemporary version of Arise, Shine, you know, Mm -hmm. for the light has come. And the people began spontaneously to do like a Jericho march around the building. And as they came past, I could see them then just because, you know, they came in close enough to see. I couldn't a see. A Jericho them. march. They just got together, marched all <laughs> oh, okay. around. The just okay. marching okay. around. <laughs> and I could see that there were hundreds of people present. We don't know who they were, where they came from. Absolutely amazing it was. And he recorded it and put it out as a cassette. And sadly, it was before we knew anything about copyright. <laughs> <laughs> we just didn't know about that. Yeah. So this cassette 
it was just called a you know a praise and celebration night with all these people singing and us playing and me leading and exhorting the people in between the songs and you know really yeah, doing a yeah. I don't know we hadn't there was no role models for that then we just were doing it and this cassette went everywhere and people were telling us how they were playing it in hospital rooms and they said oh when it comes to you talking we always fast forward that part <laughs> <laughs> they loved the music and you know it just came out of an idea that popped yeah. into our head in Hungary. That's fantastic. You were able to lead so many people to the Lord. Yeah, and what happened was, I was driving the truck in those days, you know, and God began to speak to me. Well, the devil spoke to me first. He said, they didn't really get saved, he said. They only came and said the prayer and come over the front because they liked the music. And I said to God, I said, God, is that true? And he said, the reason they came to the concert was because they liked the music. But the reason they heard the gospel was because they liked the music. But the reason they got saved is because the gospel is the power of God. Mm. That's what changed their life. And then he said to me, Dave, where are they going to go to church? And I said, oh, well, the local Uniting Church, the local Anglican Church, I don't know, wherever they you know, could want to mm. go. Yeah. And he just said to me, Dave, really? He said, you know as well as I do they're not going to fit in there. And then he said to me, you start a church. And I said, start a church what do I know about starting a church I'm a musician and there was no ever negotiation from God that's all he said we spoke to our pastor at the time and he thought it was a good idea so we decided we'll start a church in St Kilda and that's where we had met all the street kids and that's where we used to go to talk to street kids so we thought that's the place for us and I spent six weeks then praying about this church plant and my prayer was this but God I've got nothing to offer nothing to offer. When you had to do music, I knew how to preach a bit, but I didn't have a clue how to run a church. And, you know, God didn't answer ever anything about that prayer. And now looking back on it 30 years later, because that was 1988, 30 years later I look back on it and I go, man, my prayer proved I was qualified because I couldn't offer myself. I could only offer Jesus. Hmm. So that was our qualification. So we started a church. And 44 people came the first week. And when it finished, I was so excited, but the devil spoke to me and said, well, there won't be anybody next week. And I had to fight that same thought for about three years every Sunday. But we went on and we got the church going. Then we started a, an outreach church in there or a campus at Sunshine and one at Chelsea. And we kept going at that. Did you have to stop being a band or did you do them both? We did them both the best we could. We, we did them both, but the, the band did slow down for, for some time and we focused on church life for many years, always doing always doing music because we always had, um, always involved in church music and doing some outreaches, but it did slow down a lot and we've, we've come back to it over the last six, seven years doing a lot more because we handed on the churches and yeah, back focused on the music. Well, unfortunately, we're running out of time, but how can we wrap up our conversation? What do you think has been the most fulfilling part of this whole journey in music and ministry? That's a very good question. And the the truth is, it's whatever God has you doing at the time. And 
you know, I've found wherever I've responded to God, even though sometimes it's been very hard to transition into these things, every time I've responded and made that transition, it's been just filled with joy. I think with myself, with the music, I've always had a heart to see people's lives changed. We meet so many hurting people, hurt in so many different ways. And just to to write music that touches people's hearts and just helps them to have a recognition of God, but also helps them to be who God called them to be. Because God makes people amazing. He puts gifts within their lives, and yet they go through circumstances and things that the enemy tries to destroy who they are. Mm -hmm. And to actually be part of some little part of that restoration of who they are in God and for them to give their life to Jesus and to see them travel a journey where they receive some healing in their life and some encouragement has been one of the most fulfilling things for me personally. Now, I have to think, after three decades of serving in ministry, from time to time you meet people who say, oh, yeah, I gave my life to the Lord at one of your concerts or something. That's just got to be the greatest feeling. It is, and and it always comes as a surprise. Yeah. You know, you you always feel, again, overwhelmed by that. You think, wow. It's like like something you don't expect or you – because you're so busy doing something else by then that when they go back to that, you go, oh, yeah, we did do that. You know, <laughs> it's, it's been very exciting. Yeah, no, it was such an encouragement when people say that. And I always congratulate them because I say, well, you're still in there. So it's great. That's fantastic. David and Rosanna Palmer, thank you so much for sharing your stories with us today. Thank you thank for you having us. Thanks for having us. That was Eric Scatterbo chatting with David and Rosanna Palmer from Rosanna's Raiders. And what an amazing journey they've been on, serving the Lord in a variety of ways over the years, including music outreach, worship leading, church planting, pastoring, teaching, and just generally having a heart for the outcasts of society. And as we heard, they're still going strong. We pray that the Lord continues to bless them in their ministry as they continue to serve Him over the years. And if you want to find out more about their music and ministry, you can go to Rosanna's Facebook page. Just look up Rosanna Palmer Musician on Facebook. Also, you can find David's Facebook page by typing in David W. Palmer Author. That's right, in addition to everything else they do, David has found time to write several Christian books. Once again, his page is David W. Palmer Author on Facebook. Well, thanks for joining us for David and Rosanna's remarkable story. I'm Elmo, filling in for Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. There was a certain amount of it that I didn't understand at the moment, but looking back, there were a lot of things. um, I kept a journal as well as an eight-year-old could, but I didn't realize, I think, the impact that it would not only have on the people around me, but the fact that it made an impact on who I was as a person a couple years from then. Nellie Wadman was just eight years old when she attended her first local missions trip, and since then, she's continued to serve the Lord in many parts of the world. The great thing is, she's just one of several young people doing incredible mission work with a ministry called Teen Missions. We'll find out Nellie's story and about the work of Teen Missions next time. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. Thanks for
for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.